0: feel of your ongoing prayers this morning as I attempt to bring the 11th and concluding message uh, to uh, my series on the um, book of Galatians. You know, I pray for clarity for myself that I can share this in a way that is a blessing to each one of us. Uh, I find that as an 83-year-old octogenarian that uh, uh, my mind doesn't function as sharply as it used to. And some of you uh, ancient ones can identify with that. Uh, Some of you younger ones uh, probably can't. But uh, just keep on living a while and you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, um, Because it's been over a year that I began this exposition on Galatians, allow me to give a very brief overview of uh, the purpose of this letter to the churches in the province of Galatia, in the, located in the uh, central highlands of uh, Asia Minor. Uh, this, this was the area, the area of Galatia, that Paul and Barnabas, uh, had gone to in their first missionary journey in which the gospel was first taken to the Gentiles in an, in, in an extensive kind of way. But uh, this, uh, the, the preaching of the gospel in the area of Galatia was uh, very effective. Uh, and hundreds It appears that hundreds of Gentiles and some Jews, but the majority of the population was Gentile, hundreds of Gentiles' lives were transformed and churches were established uh, in such cities as Antioch of Asia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Then it was while Paul and Silas, were in Corinth on Paul's second missionary journey, that he got word that Judaizers from the area of Jerusalem had come to the Galatian churches and had convinced them that in order to be truly saved, they need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Paul immediately seemed to have wrote this forceful letter to counteract these false and erroneous teachings. In verse 11 of chapter 6, Paul indicates that he wrote this letter by his own hand, himself, which was unusual. I believe it's the only letter that Paul indicated that he wrote himself. Um, because usually he dictated his letter to someone who uh, was more skilled in writing perhaps and uh, and and they they wrote his message for him. Uh, here in verse eleven he seems to apologize for his atrocious handwriting. <laughs> uh, and um, perhaps this indicates some of the urgency that he felt concerning what, he was, uh, what was taking place here in the churches in Galatia. So in chapters 1 and 2, Paul reinforces the truth of the gospel. In chapter 3 and 4, he characterizes the false gospel of the Judaizers, the false gospel of what is often called legalism. In chapter 5, Paul presented the way of life made possible for the believer who lives and walks by the Spirit, which is made possible by the true gospel. Isn't it interesting? That a false gospel does not enable one to live above one's sinful propensities. The lust of the flesh, as Paul calls it in in Galatians chapter 5. But the true gospel does, and Paul reinforces this in chapter 5. Now, Paul concludes this epistle in the Galatians with some concluding themes or exhortations in chapter 6. I've I've lifted the title for my message this morning to you, this concluding message, from verse 14, which is probably a very familiar verse to all of us. I hope it is, because it's a very powerful statement on Paul's part, when Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Um, And so I've entitled this message, Be Careful What You Glory In. Be careful what you glory in. Because what you glory in is what determines the focus of your life. It's what gets your energy. Twice Paul said to the believers in Corinth, let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. That's important because if we glory in the Lord, then the Lord gets our focus. The Lord gets our energy, if you please. Well, um, I find there are three concluding themes in Galatians chapter uh, 6 that I would have you look at this morning. And the, the first one is, uh, is from verses 1 through 10. Uh, and here in, in verses 1 through 10, Paul uh, in, tells us, or tells the church in Galatia, and he's speaking to us here this morning, I hope, how to restore and energize each other in the body of Christ. Um, and uh, so allow me to read verses 1 through 10 uh, as the first section of this concluding message. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. Res- Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. (laughs) That's an interesting statement. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not, as we have therefore opportunity let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Uh, there are, uh, I find in, in this, these ten verses that uh, Paul uh, lifts out three things that uh, is important for us as a, as a church. And it was important to the church in Galatia. Uh, as to how we can restore and energize each other in the body of Christ. First of all, he addresses those who are struggling with sin in the church. And he, he, he tells them how to restore and help those that are struggling with sin uh in um, and, and so he says, if anyone is overtaken in a fault uh, the the word fault here is an unfortunate unfortunate translation for the Greek word that is used in the text here because fault to us i don't know what how the word fault was um what it how people perceived that back when this was translated in the, what, 15th, 16th century in the King James Version. But uh, to us, uh, uh, fault usually means some minor mistake of some kind. (laughs) And, And Paul is not talking about some minor mistake. The word that is actually used here is the word that should be translated trespass or sin. So how to restore and help those that are struggling with sin? So if anyone is overtaken in a sin, in a trespass, um, is, is really the, the, uh, Paul's focus here. Um, so if, if anyone in the church... Uh, is dealing with sin, this is what should happen. You know, we we don't often reveal our sins to each other, do we? (laughs) Uh, You know, I I haven't heard anybody, including myself, (laughs) confess sin here in this congregation for a long time. So maybe we're, we're not dealing with that kind of struggle. But knowing knowing something about human nature, because I know myself somewhat, I know that uh, <clears throat> we, we do have occasionally struggles with sin or trespasses. Anybody want to say amen to that? I was sort of weak. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that was, that was, that was, that was a, a good beginning. Um, um, yes, if anybody is struggling with sin, um, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. So so what does it mean to be spiritual? Are you spiritual? Am I spiritual? Who's spiritual in here this morning? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 characterizes those that are spiritual in several ways. First of all, those that are spiritual know the mind of the Lord. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Those that are spiritual know the mind of the Lord. That is a deep challenge to us. Secondly, those who are spiritual are those who are of full age who have their senses exercised so as to discern good and evil. Uh, and so uh, that that's that's what Paul considers to be those that are spiritual. And thirdly, those that are perfect another characterization, meaning those who are mature versus those who are carnal or babes in Christ, which he describes in 1 in Corinthians chapter 3 then. So those who are spiritual should restore those who are overwhelmed or overtaken with some trespass or sin in their lives. Um, please take note Paul, how Paul uh, writes this, that um, those who help others with their sins and trespasses that uh, need to be aware of their own vulnerabilities. That's important. That's the last phrase of verse 1. One of the areas of vulnerability uh, one has who helps another deal with his or her sins is having an attitude of superiority and pride. And Paul addresses it here. He even addressed it in in the last verse of chapter five. That is dangerous. Um, Paul, Paul is very forceful by saying that there is no room for pride or arrogance in this process in being involved in restoring another to the Lord who is struggling with their trespasses and sins. <clears throat> so that's the, the first instruction Paul gives in his concluding uh, passage here in Galatians chapter 6. The second instruction he gives is that we should bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's verse 2. Now, some commentators indicate that Paul is still referring to helping each other uh, with their sins and trespasses here. However, I take verse 2 to mean that we should gather around those in the church fellowship who are experiencing heavy and debilitating trials and difficulties. That's different than struggling with sin. The word burdens here indicates a heavy load that can overwhelm one, the one who is carrying it. Paul says, by uh, bearing one another's burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ. And, and, and I believe that what he's referring to, what he refers to, refers to the law of Christ is uh, the Christ's uh, uh, um, command, especially in in, uh, in in the Upper Room discourse, and as well as in other places, uh, in in terms of loving one another. See, he Jesus said to, to the disciples in. In, in John chapter 13, that a new commandment I give unto you in relation to this matter of loving one another. The old commandment that you have from the old economy is that you should love one another as you love your own self. Do unto others as they do, uh, I'm sorry, not as they do unto you. <laughs> But you should love one another uh, as your own self, as much as you love yourself. But Jesus' new commandment is, love one another as I have loved you. (laughs) And I believe that all of the disciples understood that Jesus was loving them sacrificially. That's different. Um, so I believe that's the law of Christ. Love one another sacrificially in relation when it comes to uh, being impelled to bear one another's burden. That fulfills the law of Christ. And again, Paul warns against looking down on one who is overcome by his heavy burdens it's not too difficult to do note verses 5 and 6 again every man should bear his for every man should bear his own burden well, let me, let me start with verse 3. For if a man think himself, it's in this context that, uh, of bearing one another's burdens that he says if a man thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word, communicate to him that teaches in all good things. Um, yes, so uh, here again is an area of vulnerability for those who help others bear their deep trials. But verse five especially indicates that the goal of undergirding each other in our heavy trials and, and, and tribulations, uh, the 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 goal of undergirding each other in the church is not to create a false sense of codependence of one to another, but to so encourage and strengthen those who are overwhelmed with uh, their burdens that uh, that their burdens become manageable for them. And the, the second use of the word burden, in, in, in my way of interpreting the, the meaning of the word is manageable burdens. <laughs> so you help someone with their heavy burdens who are overwhelmed with, with uh, trials, and difficulties, and help them that they become manageable burdens. And, and again, the, the The purpose of this is not to create codependence. Although we we should have a sense of dependence on one another, but I'm I'm talking about the danger of establishing an unhealthy relationship called codependence. So here um, Paul is uh, telling us, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The, the third thing that uh, Paul tells us in verses uh, uh, 7 through 10 is, and um, putting this in my own words, keep on doing good, especially to those who are of the household of faith, uh, especially to your fellow church members, brothers and sisters in Christ. This instruction is prefaced by forcefully reminding them of the law of sowing and reaping. Um, And so he, he says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall let the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall let the spirit reap life a- everlasting, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So, he, uh, like I said, he prefaces this instruction to do good one to another. Uh, and uh, you see... Uh, Three things about this uh, law of sowing and reaping, just briefly. First of all, this law of sowing and reaping, as we know, is inexorable. Now, I use that big word not to impress you that I know what it means. But I I believe that preaching should... uh, um, also stimulate the mind, engage the mind, the mind as well as the spirit. Uh, and and I've, I've told my students this often, and I tell it to you, and I've probably told it to you before, that the mind is a mus- more like a muscle than a bone. <laughs> it can be stretched. And if you keep stretching your mind, it will uh, uh, sort of, postpone alzheimer 's <laughs> for you so um, the, the uh, I assure you I really don 't read Webster's for devotions every day, but uh, I, I find this a good word to put in, to have in our vocabulary inexorable what does it mean um, well, it means um, cannot be moved or changed, unrelenting, inflexible. That's what Webster says. This is true in the physical world. You know, we're we're in the season of planting garden. When you plant a seed, we planted potato seeds uh, uh, the other day, and I don't expect to get corn from it. There's an inexorable law that says what, what you plant is what you reap. And that's true physically, and that's true spiritually. Secondly, uh, this law of sowing and reaping is both a warning and an encouragement. Paul here uses it as a a word of encouragement, really. He says, keep on doing good. (laughs) So he says, do good. Keep on doing good to one another because if you don't get weary, you will reap what you sow. (laughs) So it's really a word of encouragement. He uses this as a word of encouragement. One of the blessings of doing good, um, one of the blessings of even doing small deeds of kindness, may I say, one to another, is that it has a way of creating a bond, a deep bond of koinonia, which is a Greek word for fellowship. It has a way of binding us together, that is, enduring and life-giving to each other. So this simple command of do good, I think, is a very powerful one. When is the last time you did an unexpected good deed? One of your fellow church members. I uh, just the other day I, I happened to read uh, of a man who, I mean, it, it doesn't say this was a Christian, but here's a man who every morning he, when he drove through the local drive through for his cup of coffee before on his way to work, would, when he got to the window, he would say, I want to pay for the, you know, the order of the man right behind me. And he did, and he would drive off. <laughs> That's sort of an um, interesting way of doing good. When, when was the last time you uh, did good <laughs> to your ch- fellow church member? In some kind of... Uh, um, way that, even that they don't know who did it, but you did it and it was a blessing and, and innovative. Think about it. How can you do good? How can we do good one to another? Well, in the uh, concluding section, of Paul's letter to the Galatians, Paul gives a personal word of testimony. And this is verses 11 through 18. I'd like to read that. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. This is a wrong kind of glorying. This is a wrong kind of boasting. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ n- Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And that, be, that uh, a new creature does not come out of through the right of circumcision or keeping the law of Moses, but it comes. Through, through, the, through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as many as walk according to the, this rule, peace be on them and mercy upon the Israel of God. That's an interesting phrase. I'd like to dwell on it a while, but I'm going to leave it. From henceforth, let no man trouble me. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus, Christ be with you with your spirit. Amen. So here, I'm um, going to notice how that Paul um, gives a personal word of testimony. And uh, Paul tells us what is the central focus. Of his life. And I'd like to go to verse 14 uh, for that. And as you notice, as a preamble to this statement of Paul giving the central focus and purpose of his life, Paul speaks of the ulterior motives of the Judaizers in doing what they are doing in verses 12 and 13. They're boasting in something that doesn't Help or enable them to obey or keep the law that they promote. Then Paul makes this forceful, powerful statement when he says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Four weeks ago, I, I spoke to you on the crucifixion of Christ. The crucifixion of Christ is what Paul mean, meant by glorying in the cross. He's talking about the crucifixion of Christ and, and all that comes out of that. He is glorying in the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because of what his death does for us In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 Paul declared that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us who are saved it is the power of God Paul goes on to explain that in verse 22 through 24 when he says that the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and the Greeks foolishness, but unto them that are called both Jews and Greeks. Now listen to this. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Then Paul goes on to explain in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the cross. Allow me to point out that here in the book of Galatians, Paul refers three times to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the crucifixion. And and i just like to review those three things that Paul says about the cross. The third one is verse 14 of chapter 6. The first one, the first time he mentions the cross or... it has to do with something that has to do with the crucifixion of Christ, is in chapter 2 and verse 20. And, And this is what he said. I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's chapter 2, verse 20. Paul here is explaining how he is dead to the law. Verse 19. And he's dead to the law and to his old life of sin and condemnation by being baptized into Jesus Christ. I'm I'm now using what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1 when he talks about being baptized into Jesus Christ. Paul declares that I am, and here is the present perfect tense, I have been and continue to be crucified with Christ. And in order to understand this, what Paul is saying here, in to the full extent, you really need to go back and, and, and study Romans chapter 6 and verses 1 through 11, and what he says about this matter of... Uh, being baptized into Jesus Christ, and therefore being baptized into His death, and 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 uh, uh, being buried with Him by in and 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 being being raised by in, in in the likeness of Jesus' resurrection. Really need to understand that deeply. In essence, let me only say, because of lack of time, that Paul is saying here in Galatians chapter two and verse twenty that what stands between me and my old self, my old self of living in sin and condemnation, the old Adam, the old I, what stands between me and my old self of sin, condemnation. is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The crucifixion of Christ, if you please. According to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, Jesus on the cross took the indictment of my sins and nailed it to his cross, thereby disannulling the indictment and taking it out of the way. <laughs> that is, I'm going to tell you, when I understood that, uh, something changed in my life. Yes, I rejoice greatly this morning that the cross. of my my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the crucifixion of Jesus stands firmly between me and my old self, and I am freed thereby from it. I wish I could have time to say some things further about that, but let me go to the second time that Paul uses, refers to the cross. That's in chapter 5 and verse 24, and this is what it says. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. we need to remember that here in verse 24 is part of the concluding statement of what Paul has said about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. We also need to remember that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as I pointed out earlier, about the effect of the cross and the preaching of the cross being the power of God. So in essence, I hear Paul saying here that the cross stands not only between me and my old self and sets me free, But here he's saying, here the cross stands between me and my sinful propensities in my Christian life. Because uh, all of you understand that your sinful propensities uh, are still there or you couldn't be tempted (laughs) if they weren't. So uh, in essence, I hear Paul saying here that the cross stands between me and the the flesh, as Paul described it in chapter 5. And by the power of the cross, I can say no to my sinful propensities, and live in victory over them. That's huge. That's the key to the victorious Christian life, as far as I'm concerned. Thirdly, the third time Paul uses, refers to the cross, of course, is in chapter 6 and verse 14, when he said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, not only does the cross stand between me and my old life of sin, the cross also stands between me and my sinful propensities. But the cross also stands between me and the world. Now, I'm not going to try to describe to you the world this morning, but... uh, It's a sinful world and culture that we live in. And I believe he's referring to that. The cross stands between me and the world. And by virtue of the crucified Christ, the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Now when I am crucified to something and something is crucified to me, That thing is dead to me, and I am dead to it. That's, in a sense, what Paul is saying. In other words, I'm dead, dead. Can you be any more dead than that? Twice dead, <laughs> if you please. Double dead, meaning it has no attraction to me because of the cross the Lord Jesus Christ in which I glory, in which I boast. The, uh, the second verse of the song, open the Wells of grace and salvation, familiar song, says, dead to the world, would I be, O Father, a dead unto sin and alive unto thee. Crucify all the earthly within me, emptied of sin and self would I be. I I just want to reinforce the fact that that is made possible through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep that in view. The final little gem that I would highlight here in this last section of the epistle to the Galatians. And Paul gives testimony in verse 17 that he bears in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Did you, did you notice that? From henceforth, let no man trouble me. <laughs> uh, uh, not sure what all Paul is saying there. Um, Is he saying, don't bother me with trivial things. (laughs) For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What does he mean? I would like to just reflect for a moment on that in closing. The word marks here indicates brand marks um, burned into one's body that indicate who we belong to. I understand that slaves in, in these times in, in the Roman Empire were branded by their, uh, their masters, by a brand either on the forehead or somewhere visible in the, in the body that, that indicated who they belonged to. So it was difficult to run away from, from slavery at that time because you were branded. It was burned into your flesh and your skin. So the word marks indicates brand marks burned into one's body that indicate who we belong to. What he is referring to is that he considers the scars that he carried in his physical body, which he, re- which he received as a result of being, for one thing, stoned while he was preaching the gospel to the Galatian churches. And if you don't believe that being stoned to the point where they consider you to be dead, that it's going to leave some marks, even in the area of your head. Because when a stone as big as my fist or a hits you like that, it's going to mark you. Paul says, I have marks of Persecution. And I carry those marks as brand marks that show who I belong to. Some people... Glory in displaying the brand marks of the culture we live in somehow in their lives. But my prayer that for faith Christian is that we glory in bearing the marks of Jesus Christ. Without apology. Without any sense of shame. Someone has said this, and I conclude with this statement. Someone has said this in that final day when we will appear before the Lord Jesus Christ in person. And that day will come. He will not examine us for medals, but He'll examine us for scars that are His marks of ownership in our lives. God bless you as you consider these things. I want to tell you that uh, preaching through the book of Galatians has been an interesting journey for me. It's not been an easy one, but it's been an interesting one. But if you forget everything else, don't forget to glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Would you stand? I'm I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, come forward, or anything like that. I would ask you to reflect before the Lord, your own relationship with the Lord. And if you don't glory above everything else in the cross for Lord Jesus Christ, just tell the Lord that you want to glory in the cross on which Jesus was crucified. Thank you, Lord, for... Paul's powerful testimony and I pray that somehow it would become our testimony as we go from here Lord just minister to our spirits and uh, and call us yourself in a deep way this morning. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.